What the If is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Extraordinary, extraordinarily large ego edition. Extra big. That's just a tease. That's I'll a try tease. not to be offended that you said that right before <laughs> introducing us. <laughs> and so, Matt Stanley. <laughs> How are you today? Matt is a uh, historian of science at New York University. How are you? Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty good. Um, we're you know, well into the fall semester at this point, so students are starting to uh, get anxious about papers and Ooh. be too tired to come into class, but that's a good sign. It means they're working hard. <laughs> that's you know, that's a very benevolent attitude towards your students, I would say. They don't come in, therefore they're... You, they, you're by the way, I'll just say this, that you're assuming that because they don't come in, they're working hard. Well, I should say they're working hard at something. Whether or not they're working right. hard at my class is an entirely different question. Exactly. Exactly. Also, speaking of working hard, uh, also here, as always, Gabby Panicia, virologist from Rockefeller University. How, how are you today? How is, uh, how is it doing up there? You're right next to the United Nations, I think. It must be a little Yeah, a bit north. There. Yeah. A little bit north. Yeah. Does, has that affected your neighborhood at all? Um, honestly, I haven't left the campus at all. <laughs> in, in <a laughs> right, right um, so I couldn't tell you. Um, it's been sort of a, a data crunch this week. Uh, to Since COVID, they started this thing with grants where you can have like an addendum like a few months after where you can submit like, oh, we got all this extra data in like the three months. Um, really consider oh. what we've told you. Wow. Um, and the problem is now, of course, we realize like five days before that's due that we don't have any extra data. So we've been trying to get it <laughs> on very short notice. Wow. Um, so it's been a bit of a blur. Wow. But good blur. Data has right. fallen out. Yeah, could we'll be see if I can use it. But I like that. I, I did a lot of QPCRs, so I have data. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Data has fallen out. It's like a fallout. Fallout. Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes science is less like of this nice, careful, meticulous thing and more of like you shaking protocols until <laughs> a result falls out. Because um, sometimes it's not as scientific as you'd like it to be. It's, yeah, let's just go ahead and try it. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was it. Yeah, Roger Bacon, you know, said, uh, or excuse me, Francis Bacon um, said, sometimes you should just go out and play the trumpet to the tulips and see what happens. <laughs> um, yeah. That's very good. Did he go, did he do that? Um, the, actually, it's unclear whether he actually did this, but he actually dies from a cold that he catches while trying to stuff a chicken with ice on the side of the road. He's like, he's in a carriage going down the road. Um, and he's, he's thinking to himself, you know, I wonder if I stuffed ice inside a chicken, if I could preserve it longer. And then he leaps out of the carriage, does so, catches a cold and dies. Um, and my favorite part of the story is actually the implication that he had a chicken with him. Um, <laughs> that he just had ready to go. So he's that kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That is a fascinating turn. Did not expect that. I feel like we need more anecdotes from this guy's life. Oh, yeah. Bacon. Yeah. Well, with a name like Bacon, he's 
Exactly. How can you go wrong? Right? <laughs> Can't be wrong. Can't be wrong. Um, well, I'm very excited to bring in our very special guest this week. Dr. Moya McTeer is here, folklorist to the stars and astrophysicist hmm. to the folks. How are you, Moya? <laughs> I'm doing well. Thanks for having me here on What the If. Um, I'm now wondering how far removed Francis and Kevin Bacon are. Oh. It's more than seven oh, degrees of separation. Oh, that's yeah. such a good question. Mm-hmm. All right, I, I will get on this. Please. <laughs> there used to be a website where you could calculate how far you were from France, or for, uh, from Kevin Bacon. I don't know if that's still around or not. But Ooh, I feel like the world is too big now. Is, I don't even know if that true. game works anymore. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I can say right. it, might, it might weirdly... Because, like, sometimes you randomly just meet people and then your bacon number just collapses in on itself dramatically. <laughs> your bacon number. I think I have a, I have a bacon mm-hmm. number of, like, four for some reason. Which what? is Oh, wow. A friend of mine is friends with a movie star from India, and then that has opened up a lot of things. <laughs> that enough. Wow. That's a roundabout route, but that's pretty cool. No, you'll take but, it. But it's still yeah. a route. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the best I, thing about the degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. It's always the wildest journeys that you could never predict. <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> I I have a Kevin Bacon number of two. Oh or, wow! Is or, that from being in the film industry that you have the, yes. the contacts? Okay. His brother uh, is Michael Bacon, and his brother and bandmate. You know, he and his brother had a band when they were younger. Um, so and Michael Bacon. So Michael Bacon then became a film composer, uh, specializing in documentaries in particular. So I've worked with his brother. It's been many years, but uh, yeah, that wor- that counts. Cool. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Oh, I don't know. Officially number, never beating Phil then. <laughs> your number may go down as the years go by, you know, it might sort of slowly, the quality of it goes down. So, uh, Could be. Yeah. I distance, don't know if the quality ever matters. I think, like, as long as the person's <laughs> still alive, you can claim that bacon number. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, by the way, I want to add, Moya is also the host of ExoLore, a podcast about facts-based fictional world-building and the author of a brand new book, which is the uh, inspiration for today's If. And the book is called The Milky Way, an autobiography of our galaxy. Um, and so we're very excited about this. So tell us, first of all, about your podcast. Our, our listeners absolutely would love the podcast. And you've been doing it for how long? Two years now. Yeah, two two plus years. I started yeah. it. Um, it was a live show, actually, in New York before the pandemic. We had our second show three days before lockdown happened oh. in New York. Oh. Uh, and then I decided to turn it into a podcast. So, so now, yeah. we know, now we know what caused the whole thing. Yeah, it was I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's all my fault. <laughs> <You> <laughs> or know, I, I should did... say the, the lack of more episodes, right? If yes. it would have kept going <laughs> in life. Yeah. You know, again exactly. and again, Matt, you're coming in with the optimistic view of things. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, yes, it, it, I'd made a terrible joke in the second show about um, Eminem performing at the Grammys or or Emmys or something. And I think that's the reason COVID happened. I will accept no. full responsibility <laughs> for that terror. Um, no, I, I really do think that people uh, who love What the If would like ExoLore because yeah. it's about fictional world building. In episodes, I 
invite experts to come and build new worlds with me through a lens of facts and science. So what would a planet be like if it didn't orbit a star? What would uh, life be like on a world that had these constant temperature swings over its orbit? And uh, it was actually my vehicle for teaching people about the science of the universe and how worlds form in nature. And Uh um, yeah, I just love it. I love fictional world building so much. And so I don't even mind that I lose money on ExoLore now because it's just, it's my little brain baby and I love talking about fictional worlds. That's awesome. Well, if you're going to lose money, losing it on the entire universe is, yeah, it's the way to go. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, speaking of the universe, um, well, at least one uh, one object in the universe, um, your, uh, the if today comes from your book, and I'm just going to go right to it. We're going to, Moya, we, when the, what we do is we we do a thought experiment. Actually, Gabby, Mm -hmm. Would you would you explain to uh, to Moya and to all our uh, our anyone who's new in the audience what in the world have they stumbled into here? What nonsense? Yeah. So we pick an if essentially one thing that we change about the universe in every episode, and it can be small things like what if birds had thumbs? What if a day was twenty three hours? Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Or it can be completely gigantic. What if you blew a hole through half the planet? And what would happen? Um, so we try to follow what would happen from these situations and along the way teach some real science, uh, maybe get up to some thought experiment shenanigans, um, and hopefully just have some fun with it. Yeah. You know, by the way, Gabby, every time you do this exercise, and, and for our, our audience should know how brave my co-hosts are, they never know which one. I'm, you know, I'm definitely yeah. going to throw, the, I throw the, uh, the show introduction to either one, and they never know which one is going to be. But Gabby, every time, actually, each, both of you, when I, we, we sit here and we struggle before the show, what should we do? What's an if? You know, what's a thought experiment we could run? Oh, it's so hard. We're all out of ideas. And then when I throw you this exercise you always come up with the most brilliant things so each each one of those was good what was it if birds had thumbs mm-hmm. if there was a hole blasted through the planet yeah those are yeah. And, and the shorter hours. day one and the shorter day yeah i yeah. did an exolore about that a world with a 16 hour day oh Ooh. Mm-hmm. and ended up being full of partying birds who have uh <laughs> giant orgies at the equator once a year Whoa. That sounds right. You know what? I, um, I know what I'm going to go listen to today. That's <laughs> on the docket. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm going to ask them to pivot the James Webb to find this telescope because that's going to be the greatest <laughs> reality TV show happening. Oh, my uh, God. It really would be. <laughs> um, Move aside, so, Desperate Housewives. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so we're going to go. We when, when we begin the thought experiment, we announce the if with great fanfare. And so this week's if spawned by uh, Moy's great book, The Autobiography of the Milky Way. Um, what the if? The Milky Way were sentient. What? How can that even be? We will find out. Whoa! <laughs> if the Milky Way were sentient, the theme song would just keep playing. You know, the Milky Way is like, I like this music. It gives me gives me a groove. <laughs> yeah, this beat slaps. Yeah. <laughs> I always think it's a kick. It's an absurd game show. It does uh, feel a lot like Mario Kart. I felt like I was about to do some, some fun race that my thumbs weren't equipped for. Right. Oh my God, you're so right. 
I'm never going to listen to the theme the same way again. (laughs) I'm sorry to ruin it for you. Oh, no, that just makes it better. Okay, good. Yeah, we need to get more mushrooms on the show. Um, So, Moya, if the Milky Way were sentient. So when we begin these thought experiments, I think... um, another thing about our show is that we hope that just like your show, uh, Moya, um, we hope that some real shi- real science, as, as Gabby said, some, some data shakes out. We hope that some real science facts shake out. Yeah. And so one of those things um, is you can, we learn a little bit about science by, for instance, giving examples of how you set up an experiment. Uh, so this is a thought experiment. Um, so we like to, I think first thing we want to do is define our terms, mm, mm-hmm. right? That could be fun. So what does sentient mean for those who don't know? Or in, in this context, even what would that mean? What does it mean that the Milky Way is sentient? How do we define that? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I've been doing this thought experiment for the last two years since the beginning of the pandemic. To me, a sentient galaxy would be an intelligent a conscious galaxy that is aware of what's happening within and around it and is capable of communicating that awareness. Ooh, wow. that's a really good definition. I like that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you, how, how might we then go about testing? So in other words, our hypothesis is that, which is another part of the scientific process, <laughs> right? You have a hypothesis. So our hypothesis is that the Milky Way is sentient. How do we begin? Uh, is 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 that correct? By the way, because I'm not a scientist, so I ask the scientist tribunal here: uh, Would that be the next thing you have to decide? How are we going to test our hypothesis? Is that correct? Yeah, that I mean, shake- if, yeah. <laughs> if we're starting from uh, we have this hypothesis, <laughs> we have no proof of it, but we just we have this thought. Then yeah, we right. would need to test it. Um, right. I don't know. I I feel like we're doing this thought experiment in the first place because the Milky Way already has communicated with us. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the proof. Whoa. The nice. proof is in the play. I like it. By the way, yeah, I watch so a what lot is of it? cable. I was going to say, I, I watch a lot of cable news and the idea that we have no proof has never stopped anyone. So uh, <laughs> I like oh, that. This is, a, this is the thing about science. We <laughs> want to get some proof. Go ahead, Matt. So I say, so what does a conversation look like with the Milky Way? Um, because I think you you tagged that really important detail that sentience is not just um, being self-aware, but being able to have conversations about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so what does a conversation with an entire galaxy look like? I believe it would depend on what the galaxy is communicating with. Um, mm, you know, a, okay. a big sentience like this that is aware of all the various forms of communication that exist within it would would have options, right? So since uh, it started or it has communicated with us through this book, it chose uh, <laughs> it chose a literary medium <laughs> um, because it knows that humans now can read. <laughs> um, but uh, a galaxy, some of them, some of some them, some of them, can, most yeah. most of us can most, read at yeah. some level. Yeah, and um, I think that. As a galaxy with access to gas and stars, I think it could also communicate with a light show. It could oh. manipulate electromagnetic waves. It could go one step beyond uh, what most humans think about, definitely, and maybe even communicate with gravitational waves. Um, Whoa. In, in the book that I just wrote, galaxies sometimes communicate with each other. The, uh, 
their version of snail mail is to encode a message in the spectrum of a star and then shoot that star out of their bodies. Um, <sighs> we've actually seen examples of, of hypervelocity stars that move so fast they can escape the gravitational pull of the galaxy they're in. So that's yeah. that's how galaxies send official correspondence to each other. But yeah, to communicate with little beings like us and any other life that may or may not exist around uh, the galaxy, it would have other options. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, so, Gabby, how would you, if you had to begin testing this hypothesis, what would you, what would you do? Um, well, I mean, I, I think from Moya's perspective of assuming the galaxy has already said <laughs> something to us is probably the best place to go, right? Because how can you rule out that it's the galaxy itself versus someone else in the galaxy manipulating what oh. you're seeing? Um, it's like we've the had simulation. It's like a simulation or, or just, hypothesis. Yeah. You know, if you're getting weird radio waves from some distant corner of the galaxy where you don't think there's anything, we don't exactly have the technology right now to just jump over there and check if there's some other sentient alien species blasting mm -hmm. us with RF. Um, right. So but We could just be getting catfished by, by aliens, <laughs> and that's not as exciting as the galaxy. Yeah, no. Yeah, we don't want to go right. down that path. But now I'm going to take the skeptical point of view because I think that isn't that an important that's an important part of the scientific process, right? So to be mm -hmm. skeptical, um, I say, what do you mean the galaxy is communicating with us? How could that be? Show me some evidence. How would you, uh, Matt? What would you? What's the first thing you would do to gather evidence? Well, for that's this? interesting. I mean, because it's not a, it's not obvious. Right. Yeah, so if we were, say, worried about being catfished by somebody online, or we, yeah. we were thinking that it was a, a bot that was trolling us, we'd probably want to ask it something. I guess we'd do kind of a Turing test, right? We'd say, mm -hmm. all right, say something that only a human would say. So for the galaxy, we'd say, all right, tell us something that only the whole Milky Way would know, or something that only a galaxy <laughs> would say. Um I have no idea what that might be. <laughs> what would be something that only a galaxy would say? So what I like is, first of all, it sounds like both Matt and Gabby and Moya, you all, you guys are all on board, and we've we've jumped, and this is totally fine. We've jumped ahead in some sense <laughs> in this process. We've already established that the the Milky Way can communicate with us. We've, we've well, we've, but this is kind of the test, I think, okay. where we're trying to figure out if the the communication we're having is is really the galaxy or not, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because it could just be clever aliens, right? But then, what is the communication we're having? I guess. That, well, that's... I guess we can we can do some of that too. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, the only thing that a galaxy would know that humans don't is, by definition, stuff that we don't know and can't check, right? So even mm. if the galaxy did respond, or this like potentially catfishing entity did respond with something that humans don't know, we couldn't check it. Uh, <sighs> so I think we could also, like another component of this test could be um, like an activity. We could ask the this thing potentially posing as the galaxy to manipulate the galaxy in a way that only the galaxy could. Nice. Oh, that that's astronomers could observe. Yeah. Because wow. in the book, the Milky Way talks about how it... Um, it makes the stars and it uh, moves the gas and dust around to uh, distribute matter around the galaxy. Like it's in charge of all of that with its gravitational influence. Wow. So let's, so Moya, how are you, how are you asking the Milky Way? What's your chosen <laughs> form of communication? <laughs> I just like to yell at the sky. <laughs> right, why not? Yeah, why we've, not, right? we've all if, been there. If, yeah. if, if, if the entire galaxy is, 
is sentient. You could just go right? out and yell at this guy. I love that like, idea that these scientists in lab coats go outside and just yell at this guy. <laughs> you know, in New York, we have people like that all the time. So it's true. I mean, I'm one of them. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that I would, uh, if the Milky Way is indeed aware of everything that's happening within it, we are right. all part of the Milky Way. And so we'd be right. aware of, of what we're doing. Whether or not it pays attention to us is a different question. Um, right. So, yeah, I would I would yell at it. Um, I imagine that the Milky Way could also, like, it, it, it doesn't have eyes, but it can detect electromagnetic radiation. So it can see uh. stuff. And um, that also means, like, all of the radio waves, all of the, all of the TV signals that we're sending, all of the electromagnetic signals we're sending out into space, the Milky Way can collect. Right. So if you got and you yell at the sky... It seems like the communication must the the the, the me- mechanics of the communication would be you yell at the sky that mm-hmm. induces sound waves pressure waves in the Earth's atmosphere, and then what you're saying is that the sentience of the galaxy permeates like neutrinos or something like that. In other words, it, because otherwise, when the sound waves reach the edge of the atmosphere or when the air thins out too much then there'd be no more room to go. So well, therefore, well, the galaxies... Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Matt. Wait. I was going to say, I mean, the, the Earth, too, is part of the galaxy, right? Right. Exactly. Uh, right. So it's not right. like the signal has to go anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. It, it right. would be like if your toe was talking to you. Yes. That said, though, yeah. the Milky Way is spectacularly aware, then, because if you consider the human body alone... Uh, the closest equivalent we would have to human beings screaming on Earth for us to listen to them is maybe like one single gut bacterium who's just like a little uppity. And we don't have a way to really particularly communicate with that. We can sort of do a self-diagnostic, you know, I can tell when my stomach's upset or when I've stubbed my toe. Um, But I can't tell like when the I don't know, makeup of my gut microbiome changes because one bacteria slightly takes over a little bit or like, I don't know, I can't feel like a pizza being digested and absorbed. So the Milky Way is then much, much more aware of everything in it than we are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would have to be, right? To be able to maintain hundreds of billions of stars and uh, I think it's 10 to the 50 tons of gas. And that's not even uh, accounting for the dark matter in the in the galaxy that the Milky Way also has to control. So, yeah, it's it should be very aware if it's in charge of all that stuff. By the way, mm-hmm. 10 to the 50 tons of gas sounds like my gut biome. I'm just bringing, <laughs> I'm just bringing those two, <laughs> two, two ideas together. Um, so what we're saying is, it, this, this, so, so this is beginning, the vision here is beginning to flesh out for me. So it's, it's not just that the galaxy is sentient, but that we are part of the, it's as if the galaxy were a body and we are, we are one part of that body the earth is one part of that body do we know how many planets are specul are, are estimated to be inside the galaxy yeah we estimate that uh on average it's like two planets per star well it's actually mm. two planets per like sun-like star uh but most stars in the galaxy and the universe aren't like the sun most are much less massive so oh. we we should expect that there are uh, several hundred billion planets in the Milky Way alone. Wow. 
So that's yeah, at just least a couple, then. Just, just looking just some choices. Exactly. Just looking at the planets, <laughs> not not even the star. The Milky And Way that's not even all... looking at the moons of those worlds. Right. Oh, right. right. Ooh. Yeah. right. Mm-hmm. There yeah, I I love using the word world because it's kind of uh ambiguous and agnostic to these scales. Like a world can be uh, a a galaxy, a world can be a planet, a world can be a moon, a world can be a person. Yeah. Now, Gabby, I don't know if you know such numbers, but like, w- would you have any sense of how many gut biomes are in our body? Or is it, is it on well, the Well, gut biomes, of- you have probably like one, or maybe it's divided up by locations oh, in your gut. the biome. But You're right. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the bacteria in it is actually probably on a similar order. Um, right. Yeah. Something this along those lines. This number shows up a lot in nature, 100 billion Huh. Have you noticed this, that there's like 100 billion stars in the galaxy and there have roughly been like 100 billion humans who have ever lived and there are like mm. 100 billion neurons in our brain and this number just keeps showing up. That is I almost suspicious. wonder if it's either like the asymptote of human ability to count things <laughs> or yeah. like yeah. like that's where our universal yardstick ends. After 100 billion, we just like give up. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. How much is a Google? Does anybody that's know? That's 10 to the 100. So how does that translate to billions? Uh, a billion oh, ten is to the ten to the nine. Is, uh, sorry, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's uh, uh, let me see here. Uh, uh, well, I was about to say a billion billion, um, but that only gets us to ten to the eighty first. Um, so <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. So, um, where would you like to take this, Moya? Uh, you know, there's, for instance. Where do we go from here? Uh, so I see two potential directions. Yeah. Um, one of them that I explored briefly in the book was, okay, how how would this be possible? And for that, I went into explanations of Boltzmann brains and new uh-huh. theories of consciousness and panpsychism that are coming out. Um, but we could also go the route that I didn't really get to explore much in the book, which is if the Milky Way is sentient, then probably all galaxies are sentient and if so what does their society look like what is their uh their life on a galactic scale wow and what do you think um, I mean, I want to do the one that I haven't explored yet. Yeah, I want yeah, exactly. to imagine, like, uh, so I, I did some work imagining, uh, and by that, I mean, I channeled the Milky Way when it told me about its relationships <laughs> <laughs> with like, other galaxies. Do you owe the Milky Way any royalties, or did you have to option, you know? No, we, this... we worked it out in the contract. Um, okay, good. There's actually, if you Mark. look at, like, the details of publishing contracts, in a lot of them, there's this clause that says, yeah. uh, the contract applies like through the universe in perpetuity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And for this book, we actually got them to take that clause out of the contract <laughs> because the Milky Way would potentially be able to deal with other things in the universe. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. amazing. <laughs> I love that at, at all levels, people went with me on the conceit of this. That's really funny because, like in in television or in film and television, when we have people, you know, if we if you're going to be on camera, um, the you know someone on the crew is going to come up to you with a release, you know, permission mm-hmm. release, and it often includes that phrase, you know. So in other words, you give up your your rights to be seen anywhere, not just on Facebook and TikTok, but throughout the universe, throughout the universe um, in perpetuity. Yeah, I mm-hmm. love that class. Yeah. That class. So um, so you didn't have to, and and it sounds like you didn't have to buy the life rights. 
to the milk no. the Milky Way. That would have well, been no, it, it offered it freely. Oh, good. Amazing. Yeah. Life rights for the Milky Way is what thirteen billion years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least. Yeah. 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 Wait, does it get more expensive the older uh, a subject <laughs> is? Well, I think that's probably right. <laughs> I would yeah. think so because knowing that just old people get more and more cranky, you know, mm. I think that yeah, definitely a thirteen billion year old person would be like, yeah, no, you owe me. Yeah, that's right. All right, so let's hear. So if the other galaxies are also sentient, yes. and as you say, they have a they have ways of communicating each other with these these rogue stars that they hurl mm-hmm. out. Right. Well, um, that's just that's their snail mails. They have they have faster ways. Oh, okay. What's the what's the better ways? Or faster? I actually didn't uh Oh, you didn't explain ask. that. No, I didn't okay. I didn't ask that. <laughs> um I I pictured it as they can kind of communicate at the speed of light with each other um, as they are just seeing each other's emissions Mm -hmm. um okay well that's yeah that makes sense right so they can um because if they can control you know the brightness of their globular clusters or something they can just do a a clear morse code style thing Um, so so speed of light is pretty cool is pretty fast but on intergalactic distances how long does it take to have a conversation yeah, I mean, even the the nearest galaxies to us are are thousands of light years away. So um, the timescales are really drawn out um, for galaxies. I there's a line uh, that the Milky Way told me when it was uh, channeling its book, and it, it was, um, you know, you can't think about galactic timescales in the same way that you think of your human life timescales because. I have spent millions of years ruminating on the one time I said you too when a nearby <laughs> galaxy told me to enjoy my supernova. So, <laughs> so like, you know, millions of years is very easy to pass for a galaxy. Um, Gabby, what would, you, what, what, what would you like to know as we pursue this angle of inquiry? So maybe this is just like me connecting like the one thing I know about space to the one thing we're talking about. Um, But everything is moving further apart from each other, right? So, I mean, I guess much like kids who sat next to each other in elementary school and then maybe went to the same middle school and then like one of them moved away and they never saw each other again. Um, Does the Milky Way, you know, with their friends that fell out of contact, is you know, it's getting harder and harder to talk to them. Um, because they're moving further and further away. Yes. Um, does the Milky Way fear a time when there will be no one around to talk to? Like, I'm oh getting God, into Gabby. the existential questions. <laughs> yes, I love these questions. Um, so, yeah, the the entire universe is expanding, and that expansion is speeding up. So very distant galaxies have moved far away from the Milky Way, especially when you, when you look back in time, closer to the beginning of the universe, and all these galaxies were clustered together in a much smaller volume uh now they're they're very spread out but that's only on the largest scales of the universe on smaller more local scales like when you get down to the scale of a galaxy cluster gravity is still dominant so we are in a cluster of about 50 or so galaxies that are all gravitationally bound to each other and unless dark energy is much stronger than scientists think it is we will not be torn apart so most of the Milky Way's oh. friends have gone away, but there is this little neighborhood that sticks together um, where they they can all communicate fairly easily. That's really cool. Huh. 
Like um, that. So the universe becomes sort of a more tribal place. Right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You have your peeps and you stick to them. Um, yeah. And I guess after a while, nobody comes to visit other than your local friends. Right? No. Yeah. It's all just like phone calls, essentially, this distant <laughs> <laughs> communication. Right, and it's so a, if I know anything about, uh, I was going to say human nature, but if, if we transfer that, it's the human nature being part of the galaxy, let's call it galactic nature. If I know anything mm-hmm. about galactic social nature, um, <laughs> it's that our uh, the Andromeda galaxy is our closest galaxy. Is that right? That's our closest neighbor? It is uh, our closest neighbor in size and mass. Oh. Oh. Um, oh. The, the Andromeda galaxy is actually kind of on the other end of the local group of oh. galaxies. Okay. The closest ones to us are small dwarf satellite galaxies that orbit in the dark matter halo right. of the Milky Way, like the large and small Magellanic clouds. Or... Right. Um, as the Milky Way told me, they're called uh, Larry and Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> are those acronyms, or those are just no? Those the are names. just their, their just names. That's their names. <laughs> That's their names. Yeah. Um, well, I would say though, then the um, um, those little galaxies that are near near us, the little dwarf galaxies or clusters, thing, all that stuff, we're happy mm-hmm. with. But the Andromeda galaxy, being our closest neighbor in size, we are mm-hmm. competitive with and we hate. You know, mm. I, I would, you know, just knowing the way things are, right? The one that's, it's like, um, my stepfather grew up in a town called Tonawanda, which is outside of Buffalo. And naturally, the people of Tonawanda hate the people of North Tonawanda. <laughs> you know, that's just, right? That's just a natural, you know, just like the, peop- the people of Brooklyn, hate's a strong word. It would, would feel, you know, aggravated, aggravated, right. feel they mm-hmm. are lesser. The people of Brooklyn feel the same way about the people of Queens and vice versa. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. that's just how that's it is. You're, and everybody you're dunks on enough. Staten Island. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, can you blame us? I mean, uh, you know, it's easier to have beef with your neighbors because you're close enough to know all of the annoying things about them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And um, galaxies I, do. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Maya. <laughs> no, I was I was going to go on a little bit of a rant about galaxy mergers. So you. Oh, no, that's ahead. actually exactly I where I was that. going to go. Yeah. Because galaxies eat each other sometimes. Right. So. Yes. So it's not yes. just murder, but it's cannibalism. It's cannibalism. And um, also, you know, sometimes it gets a little steamy and intimate. So oh, <laughs> there are, broadly speaking, <laughs> two types of galactic mergers. There are minor mergers <laughs> and major mergers. Minor mergers happen between two galaxies of very different sizes. Uh, This is what most of the mergers in the universe are, and this is what most of the mergers in the Milky Way's past have been, merging with these small satellite galaxies that orbit in its halo, in this big cloud of dark matter around it. Um, Those are... In the in the galactic parlance, those are like minor flings. Um, they can also be violent collisions where the bigger galaxy is cannibalizing the smaller galaxy. But when you start looking at major mo- mergers, those are between two galaxies that are roughly equal in size that have a mass ratio close to one. And that's the type of merger that the Milky Way and Andromeda will eventually have. In about five Mm. billion years, we're going to merge. And major mergers to galaxies are kind of like 
marriages. It is the merging of two galaxies' lives that are kind of equal in stature. So one Mm -hmm. isn't going to completely dominate the other. Uh, And they do really have to combine all of their gas and dust. They'll make new stars together. Um, At the end, when two spiral galaxies have a major merger, the resulting galaxy will be a different shape. It will be Mm -hmm. an elliptical galaxy. So there's this major transformation that happens. Um, So actually, the Milky Way has been in love with Andromeda for billions of years. Would you refer to them as star-crossed lovers? Yes, I would! Yes, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah, so that's that's the, the relationship there. And then it's the small satellite galaxies around the Milky Way that just kind of hover around and are constantly like making it itch by passing uh, in and around its body. Those are the annoying ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and what is what is dark matter? Oh, we're asking the easy question yeah. this morning. Okay. <laughs> how, does that, how does that play into the uh, relationships? That's a good question. Um, So for for your question of what is dark matter, astronomers don't know what exactly it's made of. But we can observe its behavior and its effects on stuff around it. What we do know is that it's matter, so it has gravitational influence. It interacts with other stuff through the gravitational force. But for some reason, it doesn't interact with the electromagnetic force. So light just passes through it. They don't seem to be aware of each other. Um, Actually, Dr. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein has called for people to rename it transparent matter or clear matter because dark matter makes it seem like like it's literally the absence of light, but it's not. It's right. it just doesn't interact with light. Right. Uh, but there are there are ideas about different particles that it could be, but we still have a lot of experimenting to do before we know for sure what dark matter is. Um, but it is important to galaxies because early on in the universe, when things were much closer together and the density of the universe was higher, the temperature of the universe was also higher. Mm-hmm. Um, That meant that it was harder for gas clouds to cool down, which is a a necessary step in the star formation process. So early on in the universe, it was difficult for matter to clump together. And we think that the reason galaxies formed or like one of the, the ways that galaxies were able to form was on the scaffolding of dark matter, which was inherently colder because it didn't interact with light. So it wasn't getting heated up by infrared and x-ray radiation. Uh, it could clump easier and like create a structure that other material could be attracted to. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And how would dark matter, how do we think this would play into the relationships between galaxies? That's a great question. I need I need your help here. <laughs> I didn't I didn't <laughs> think about that. Well, um, let's see. First of all, we yeah. know the thing about dark matter is that it and I believe the only reason we know about it and the only thing we recognize about it is that it it affects grav it, it, it has a gravitational force mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. we see that we see it causing gravitational lensing for instance if anyone knows what exactly, that is yeah. right we can see these um you know bizarre distortions that look like bubbles in the sky 
because of the clumps of dark matter are, are distorting the light all around them because gravity can do that. Yeah, um, I highly recommend looking up pictures of the coma, no, of the bullet cluster that oh. show you um, how luminous matter and dark matter are distributed in this like pair of interacting galaxies. Oh, cool. Yeah, Shout out actually, to the bullet cluster. That's right. So actually, I hadn't thought of, of lensing here, but that's um, lensing might be another way to... Uh, think about communication between the galaxies Ooh. too. And in particular, it might be a way to relay messages yeah. from galaxy A to galaxy C because galaxy B is like, yeah, sure, I'll lens that for you. And <laughs> I'll, I'll get the... Um, so we've got kind of a, a post office <laughs> role for, for some of these for dark matter. Yeah. 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 Ooh, that makes it so much easier to establish like a rumor mill, uh, <laughs> a, a, a grapevine yeah. that... <laughs> <laughs> that gossip can travel through. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in fact, if you um, could place yourself inside a dark matter cluster, you know, some giant center of, of a dark matter cluster, um, you might hear all kinds of, you'd be like a switchboard, you know, or, or, or like a, like a, not a switchboard more, but like a nexus of communication, right? All these things. Like the hub. All these, yeah, the yeah. hub. Mm -hmm. Messages would be falling into it. Um, ah, which leads us to black holes. So black holes, yeah. how are black holes, I'm going <laughs> to guess black holes are not uh, appreciated by the galaxies. Well, actually, no, actually, I'm well, totally wrong about that question, because we need black holes. Yeah, so I, I just threw out a lot of stuff. Yeah, uh, 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 um, Moya, how are black yes. holes treated in in the to the sentient Milky Way? Uh, so here we get into, uh, yeah, I definitely was channeling the Milky Way's words, but also right. I was making this book during the pandemic when I and I know many other people were struggling a lot with mental health. So you'll see that <laughs> <laughs> reflected here. Cosmo, please stop. Oh. My cat is like is clawing at at the door to my uh, recording booth. Yeah. Oh my god! I just uh, no one could see because it's an audio podcast. But you guys may or may not have noticed that I leaped up at one point because my cat was meowing and had to get into the sit on the washing machine. You know, <laughs> oh, sure of course, yeah. day, you know, it's, it's a requirement. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's necessary. <laughs> so I think the milk. I think the Milky Way is communicating to us through our pets this morning. Oh, probably. Yeah. It's you like, know? why are you talking about me? That's right. Say more nice things. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, the way that I interpreted the relationship between black holes and the galaxies yeah. is that Black holes are the physical manifestation of all of your guilt and shame and anxiety and like every every bad thing you don't like about yourself or the world around you or Woo. every insecurity you have about things other people don't like about you. Whoa. Um, wow. And the reason that that works is because... Uh, galaxies spend a lot of their time making stars. And at least for the Milky Way, which is the only galaxy I can speak for, uh, <laughs> it then falls in love with those stars and ultimately has to watch those stars die. When the uh -huh. most massive stars end their evolutionary life cycle, they blow up in supernovae and the most massive stars leave behind a black hole. Um, so, you know, in this moment of ultimate failure for a galaxy that has uh, fallen in love with this star, what's left behind after it dies is a black hole. And over time, those black holes merge to form supermassive black holes. Um, also, whenever the, the Milky Way 
eats and cannibalizes and rips apart a smaller dwarf galaxy, uh, that galaxy's black hole gets absorbed into mm -hmm. the Milky mm -hmm. Ways. Um, and, and so it's absorbing all of the shames and insecurities of the <laughs> other galaxy, too, as well as the guilt that wow. it feels for tearing that galaxy apart. Jeez. Okay, also, sort of secondary thought. Okay, if the consciousness of a galaxy is stored essentially in its matter, when it cannibalizes another galaxy, is it just like absorbing the sentience of another galaxy that over the years the Milky, the Milky Way is you know, containing multitudes of yes. other consciousnesses that it's sort yeah. of amalgamated. Yeah. So like, what does identity even mean for something that yeah. is constantly absorbing other consciousnesses and incorporating them into its own? Whoa. Um, Terrifying. Delightful. Sounds like <laughs> it's, I, I have a recommendation for the Milky Way, and yeah. that is try meditation. You know, yeah. Okay. This so, sounds like a lot of stress you're carrying. <laughs> you're you're you make what an with excellent the super point. Massive, what with the supermassive black hole in your center? You know, I think you need to relax a little, maybe. Yeah. So one of one of the reasons uh, black holes do that for galaxies is because uh, we see observationally real galaxies out in the universe that have been quenched or killed by their black holes. Uh, black holes can produce heat. They can produce feedback winds that ultimately make it difficult for a galaxy to form stars. What's a um, feedback wind? Ooh, um, <laughs> a feedback wind is you get these, it can happen through gravity, it can happen through like winds, through um, swaths of charged particles that move mm. through space coming off of stars or black holes, anything that can emit radiation. Oh. Uh can have these forces, these shocks of pressure that shoot outward and push other things away. Right. Um, this is actually still a process that we're we're trying to learn more about the different ways that feedback can form, especially around a black hole. Um, but black holes can make it impossible for galaxies to form stars, essentially killing them. Um, I, I, you know, black holes aren't always hurtful to galaxies though like sometimes mm -hmm. uh these feedback winds can have the opposite effect and they can actually help you for a, a small while form new stars but i mean i think anyone who has struggled with mental health understands that there are occasionally some positive benefits to your life like um i i have adhd and i know that it helps me like bounce back and forth between my various projects and there are good things even though it is ultimately you know impacting negatively my my ability to do a lot so uh, black holes are similar right on right on um matt how would you what's something you would uh need to test at this point having learned all this Testing. what's something you would be skeptical about um i don't know i think there's a one of the interesting things going on here is going to be the time scale problem, which is that, mm -hmm. as we've talked about, the the Milky Way thinks in terms of hundreds of millions or billions of years for getting stuff done. We yeah. want to have a conversation with it, but we think in terms of seconds and minutes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So as, as Gabby said a little while ago, it would be... You know, we don't really have awareness of the individual bacteria in our guts. We sort of have a collective awareness of them. Um, 
so I want to, I don't know, can we actually talk to the Milky Way or are we simply beneath its notice? Um, This is a great sort of final question. Is it how, can we... Can we have this conversation? What do you, well, Moya has had co- the conversation. That's right. Moya's already It's true. Yes, I'm this. living proof. Although I, I've spent many years priming my brain to communicate with the Milky uh, Way. All right. Um, I, when I close my eyes, I have a very defined like mental image and mental map of the Milky Way galaxy. I can see stars moving around <sighs> it. Um, I can picture a zoomed out version of it. Um, wow. That helps that's, with space, less yeah. so with time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So do you have to, like when you you mentioned that you see the stars moving around, do you compress the time in your head? So 10 seconds of thinking is a billion years of motion or something mm-hmm. like that? Okay. Yeah, it's very that's, zoomed yeah. up. Um, yeah. I would say that that is something that astrophysicists are particularly good at, right? I imagine you do get, you do think, you are able to think in terms of these grand scales of space and time, big numbers and things like that, right? Yeah, um, I agree. Gabby, do you have any uh, a final question for Moya? Hmm. How are, what was how are the you most? Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, what was the most sort of fun thing for you that fell out of channeling the Milky Way? Like, what was the one concept, idea, one thing you realized about a sentient universe that you were like, oh my god, that would be so cool? For me, it was. I thank you for asking. Um, for me, it was like the the Stevie relationships between galaxies, like. <laughs> So there, there is this small dwarf satellite that orbits around Andromeda called the Triangulum Galaxy, and it's the third largest galaxy in our local cluster. Um, but like, it's a big drop off between the Milky Way Andromeda and then this this Triangulum Galaxy, and so it it feels some type of way about that. Like it's definitely insecure, um, <laughs> and the Milky Way in turn is jealous because Trin and Andromeda have have had some flings like they have exchanged some galactic material if you know what i'm talking about and so so i just loved thinking about those interactions and like the petty jealousies of galaxies especially when it comes to sex uh, but also imagining that they were this much freer uh, more sexually open society like a lot of galaxies end up being polyamorous because you can have galaxy mergers between many galaxies at once. Uh, JWST gave us that gorgeous image of Stephen's Quintet, which is four galaxies merging and interacting, and then a fifth bystander galaxy that's just (laughs) watching for the fun of it, right? Like, if (laughs) if you start thinking about interactions between galaxies in terms of like sexy stuff, it makes it so much more fun <laughs> to oh think God, about this, their mergers. I am never going to look at the web images uh, the same way again. This is brilliant. Right. It's just a little voyeur galaxy <laughs> yes. yeah. standing to the side. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. Um, thank you. Our guest has been Dr. Moya McTeer. Moya, thank you for this incredible journey through the lifestyles of the rich and gigantic, the rich and massive. <laughs> um, <laughs> Moya is, uh, as we mentioned, and, and I think you have proven it today, folklorist to the stars and astrophysicist to the folks, and we have appreciated being the folks. Um, I want people to uh, listen to uh, Moya's podcast, Exolore, and uh, read the new book, The Milky Way, an autobiography of our galaxy. I assume people can find that everywhere, that, uh, yeah. everywhere in the Milky Way galaxy. <laughs> yes, uh, throughout the universe in perpetuity, you can find it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also read the audiobook for it if you would rather hear the words oh. instead of see them. 
Right on. Oh, I love audiobooks. That's really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabby and Matt, anything you guys would like to plug this week? Um, let's see here. Uh, well, I'm speaking at the University of Minnesota October 7th. So oh, if anybody in right the on. Twin Cities is in the neighborhood, come on by and say hello. In person? Uh, in person, yeah, that's right, which is pretty exciting. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And what will the subject be? I will be speaking about how we learn to get scared of asteroids smashing us. Really? Ooh. <laughs> Something with the with the DART mission? No, well, sort of the history leading up to that, the very early version Ooh, of it. Yeah. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be fun. That's very cool. And uh, Gabby, do we have any news on your uh, sci-fi publication coming out? Yeah, so they released the um, the author's list. Uh, which is really cool if you want to check that out uh, on Neon Hemlock Press's website. Um, the anthology itself is uh, Luminescent Machinations, Queer Tales of Monumental Invention. Um, that's coming out still nebulously sometime in the fall. I know they're working on illustrations for each of the stories. Uh, so that's ne- taking a hot minute. Nebulously. 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 Other than that, my only other plug is just a universal thing. Uh, new COVID vaccine boosters are coming out. This is the spike against Omicron, not the same uh, spike essentially coded that you would have gotten before, which was coded for like OG SARS-2. Yeah. Um, so new boosters should hopefully be even more effective as Omicron's become sort of our reigning terror uh, of COVID variants. Um, so as always, get your shots, stay safe, try not to lick any subway poles. <laughs> Damn. Always good. That's the rest of my day. (laughs) Uh, Matt, would you like to explain, uh, help Moya get up to speed and help any of our new listeners? Oh, by the way, including, I want to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters. We have uh, a whole crop of uh, people who support us on Patreon, which is our membership program. Uh, If you go to patreon.com slash what the if, you can find out. Um, In fact, we have a newly revamped Patreon page, thanks to uh, my great assistant, Joshua Reinstein, has done some wonderful work there. So um, all kinds of merch you can get, including uh, and merch and also bonus content. Every single show now, for quite a while now we've been doing this, we have uh, bonus content available only for Patreon members. We have an after-show discussion where we talk about a little bit more about the subject of the show, as well as just different things that are happening in our lives both in and out of science. It's a lot of fun. Um, so go to patreon.com slash what the if. No obligation, just go check it out, all the different kind of things you can get. Um, and Matt, would you would you help Moya and, and our audience get up to speed on the insanity that we perform, the ritual? Well, end? it's often the case that our if has left us with a bit of an existential crisis, and we respond to this by uh, shouting out into the universe the name of the show. So I think today it's probably the Milky Way that has the existential crisis as it wakes up one morning and discovers that it is full of billions of sentient creatures itself. And uh, in reaction to this, it suddenly shouts out into the cosmos, What? Thank you all for listening. Shout out to uh, our neighbor, the Andromeda Galaxy, and uh, tell us what you think. All the other neighboring galaxies, write in. And in fact, if all you neighboring galaxies would join Patreon, that would be fantastic. (laughs) Um, And uh, keep in touch, everyone. We'll see you next week. 